On Sex Positive Me, we explore all aspects of sex and relationships, ranging from fetishes and BDSM to ethical non-monogamy and LGBTQ issues. Sex Positive Me destigmatizes sexual practices and relationships while reconciling reality with myth and misconceptions. Our goal is to educate, entertain, and be advocates of sexual freedom. And now here's your hosts, Angelique and John Luna. Hello, hello, hello. This is the hostess with the mostest, Angelique Luna with John C. Luna, tech guy, learning all the crazy things that I forget to share with him. Like this month was supposed to be sexual assault awareness month and child abuse awareness month that that's going to be the topic and the title. And I forgot to loop them in. (laughs) My bad. I I think I need it. I need help just to keep me in the loop. I got to hold on the rest of it, but I need loop help. So week two, and we actually have Shannon Webster with the Victim Service Center of, of Central Florida. It's a tongue twister there. Shannon. How do you do yeah. that? Uh, we just say VSC. We shorten it, make it a little easier. Of course, of course. But for audience members, they need to hear the whole thing first, and then they understand VIC. Thank you for being on the show. We appreciate everything you do. Please tell our audience member a little bit about you and also VSC. Sure. Um, So my name is Shannon Webster. Uh, My pronouns are she, her. I work at the Victim Service Center I have for the past three years. I'm our volunteer and outreach coordinator. Um, So I help get people engaged with our organization as well as go out and spread awareness about our services. Um, So the Victim Service Center serves Orange, Seminole, and Osceola counties. Uh, We primarily provide victims of sexual assault assistance, such as therapy, counseling, um, advocacy, such as case management, um, judicial help, things of that nature. But we really serve any victim of trauma. So that might look like a violent crime, um, something that happened in childhood, things of that nature. If someone feels that they need assistance getting through their everyday lives, um, they can come see us. We have a 24-hour helpline as well. That's 407-500-HEAL. Um, so if you feel that you are in an immediate crisis situation or you were immediately sexually assaulted um, within 120 hours and you're 12 and older, we can actually help you um, arrange to get a forensic evidence collection kit or a rape kit. People usually know it as. Um, so our uh, victim advocates actually dispatch 24 hours a day if needed um, to go and meet those victims and help them through that process and explain what that kind of looks like. Um, so we do about one or more of those per day. Um, so that's kind of our main overview of services. Wow, I didn't realize it was from 12 and up. I always thought um, between that age category, 12 to 17, they would still go to the uh, Howard Phillips uh, Children's and Family Centers. But that's good to know that anyone from that age category could reach out to you. Yeah, we don't necessarily always have them come to us for services. Um, Sometimes, depending on their development, it might be more appropriate for them to go to the Childhood Advocacy Center, like Howard Phillips or Kids House, things of that nature. Um, But if they feel like, you know, that might be best for them, especially if you're like 16, 17, um, you might want to be seen as an adult more so. Um, If you are a little bit younger, it might be more appropriate. But if you're 12 and older, uh, our nurses are actually the ones that would conduct the sexual assault rape kit exam. Um, When you're under 12, your biochemistry is a little bit different. So you actually only have 72 hours to be seen. And they do something called um, a forensic interview as opposed to forensic evidence collection. Wow, that's interesting to know. (laughs) We're learning new things here, (laughs) a difference on that. So I know right now, currently, you have your auction items available for your Cheers to Change annual fundraiser. Please tell us the history on that. Yeah, so um, our agency is about, I think, 21 years 
now. Um, but just nine years ago, we started our Cheers to Change event. Um, that was around with our new executive director, Louis Duamiani, started. Um, and they found that we didn't really have anything telling people about us that we could kind of gather. So Cheers to Change actually just started as an awareness event to pull people from the community all together to talk about the Conservative Center. Because um, even now you go to people and they say, hey, do you know what VSE is? And the answer is still no. Um, so we really like to do this to kind of spread awareness about what we do, because the more people know about us, the more likely people who need help are able to get it. Um, so it started as just a party and we kind of realized very quickly that, you know, people wanted to come and learn about us as and support us once they learned what we did. Um, so since then, it's kind of grew. We started out in the Enola Museum, I think, just in their courtyard, grew to the Orlando Science Center um, now. So last year was supposed to be our first year there. Now we're kind of pivoting to virtual, um, but it's really our main fundraiser of the year. It's how we raise the most money um, to help us, you know, expand our services. When we first started, we were actually only in Orange County, and now we serve Orange, Seminole, and Osceola County. We have about 20 full-time staff members and 20 to 25 more contractors. Um, so this event really helps us raise awareness about our services and raise those necessary funds. So this year we're doing a virtual program that's streaming live on April 8th from 7 to 8. And then we also have a silent auction that's going to end at that time. Um, but people are always able to get involved, learn more. Um, but really, Cheers is kind of our kickoff for Sexual Assault Awareness Month in April. A lot of fun and cool stuff on there. You had such an array. And I know it started on April 1st. And I took a peek today. And I'm like, holy cow, you guys did wonderful selling half of the stuff on because I'm like, there's a lot of stuff missing here that I wanted to bid on. So it went quick. Yeah, it did. Um, we try really hard to get stuff that people like and base it off of stuff from last year. So we know the wine stuff is always very popular. Um, this year, actually, we have some kid items that aren't selling as much. So I guess like, you know, they're like, oh, I don't want to be with my family anymore. I've been with them all year. I want, <laughs> I want adult alone time, um, which I think your package is perfect for. So, you know, that one is still available. So hopefully people can bid on it. And you all have been awesome getting the word out there about um, what we're doing. Yes, very dear and near to our hearts here. Well, you mentioned that you're doing it online this year. And obviously last year, everything was either online or canceled. Right. Um, how have you seen the last year change as far as in your organization? Because we, again, I don't have any statistics, but um, being cut off from other people uh, because of the pandemic definitely opens up a door where abuse may happen and may go even further unseen because we're all at home. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one of the interesting things about our organization is that, um, you know, we do counseling therapy, you have to be HIPAA compliant, all that kind of fun stuff. So it was always a goal of ours to eventually be able to provide telehealth services or basically be able to see people um, not face-to-face. -face. Um, COVID presented, you have to do that if you want to do anything essentially. So it really accelerated our timeline. I mean, kind of woke up the people who oversee, you know, the mental health field to say, this is a valid form of counseling. You can help people this way. And they were able to find ways for organizations like ours to be able to provide that. So we um, quickly pivoted to doing that online um, and we're providing more therapy than we ever have before. We've always had a lot of support groups where we invite people to come to our offices um, in any of the three counties, Orlando one mostly being the most popular, but now we're, we've been able to expand those groups and we've been able to have more attendance because instead of having to rush to our office at 5.30 after work and find a place for your kids, you can do it in the comfort of your own home if you feel safe. Now, when you mentioned like you might have abuse in your home, we're definitely aware of that as well. Like if you are not safe in your home, you don't have a space where you can 
speak openly and safely about what you need, we are still opening um, services in person if that's something that people need. Um, and obviously putting it in a larger room where you can distance and all of that stuff. Um, we did notice a pretty big decrease in the number of acute sexual assault cases. So people reaching out to us for rape kits. We don't think it's because rape isn't happening. We know that's not the case, but we think it's because you're stuck with your abuser. Um, you can't leave. You don't have that excuse like I'm going to work, I'm going to school, I'm going to see you know Patty down the street. You don't have that option anymore to be able to find your way out or make that safe phone call. Um, so last year, I think we did 333 sexual assault exams, whereas the year prior we were 399. And so we were tracking up, up, up. And last year was the first time we saw that decline. So we know that there's some things at play preventing people from getting that help um, in the immediate aftermath. Luckily, we do see increases in therapy, things of that nature, but it's an obstacle that we're continuing to struggle with. Well, I'm glad you were able to pivot and go online because that's, again, tra travel is sometimes very hard for certain people. Um, but now I'm staring up in the corner of your background there and I'm looking at Denim Day. <laughs> yeah. I just discovered what this was, but please explain that to us. Yeah, so um, Denim Day is on April 28th this year. Um, the main ask is that we have people wear jeans and kind of the story behind that is in the 90s in Italy, um, there was a case that made it all the way up to this court case about a sexual assault. Um, I believe it was a driving instructor who had assaulted their student who at the time I think was a minor. Um, it made it to the Supreme Court and they overturned their conviction because they said the victim was wearing tight jeans and she would have had to have helped the perpetrator take them off because they were so tight, therefore implying consent in their eyes. Um, this is obviously ridiculous. Coercion exists. Many other factors, intimidation exists. Um, Supreme Court did not see it that way in Italy. All of the women primarily in parliament went very angrily in protest um, quickly right away the next day and showed up in jeans to show solidarity with that victim. Um, we've seen movements like this since then. I don't know if you all saw in Italy or in Ireland a few years ago, there was something similar um, where I think they held up the girl's thong in court. Um, and I think she was also a minor and said, oh, this was the underwear she was wearing when she was sexually assaulted. Do you see it? It's frilly, it's a thong. She must have wanted to have sex that day. Um, so this continues to be a problem, even though it's now you know, 2021 and the denim day thing was in the nineties, but we continue to protest it because it continues to be a problem. So um, on the last Wednesday of Sexual Assault Awareness Month, we have denim day where we encourage everyone to wear jeans to show their solidarity. Depending on where you work, it's a little bit more special to wear jeans. Um, in other places, it's not that uncommon. Like if you see a you know, person at college wearing jeans, you're not gonna be like, oh, why are you wearing jeans on a Wednesday? Um, so we do have people sign up on our website and we can send them stickers. Um, so we have a denim day tab actually, I believe under get involved on our website, which is healhere.org, where you can sign up for your group and we'll send you stickers. If you work somewhere like you're a lawyer or a nurse or a police officer, someone who can't wear jeans no matter what, we actually make denim ribbons we can send you. And um, you mentioned my awesome virtual background, which I made brag, but um, we also have those available for download on our website as well. Um, so if you're doing Zoom meetings or if you wanna take that group picture on Zoom, you can have this as your background because most of the time it's very challenging to get your jeans in a picture on Zoom. Yeah, I know all the Zoom videos, you're surprised at what people are wearing below the waist. <laughs> Yes, you're like, okay, everyone uh, stand up and try to get your jeans in the picture. It's like, oh, well, I didn't actually wear jeans today, but, you know, I'll be in the picture anyways. 
Yes, and it's awesome to see all of the local politicians and government folks participate on that because I saw like on your page, on your Instagram, you know, Mayor Dennings, um, um, what's the other guy? Mayor Dyer. Dyer. Dyer, thank you. Sorry, brain fart. <laughs> you know, all participating and showing support. It, it's a big deal because we do need to break down and have these conversations and really educate, you know, that it still goes on and we need to talk more about sexual assault and how we could heal and help the survivors. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think back to the Black Lives Matter protest last year and how, you know, there were still these large demonstrations despite COVID and people really wanted to go out and show their support. Um, and so, you know, we're not looking for anything like that, but we understand that having the support of law enforcement, having the support of politicians, having the support of people in power does make a difference to have them, you know, in your back pocket. And we're, you know, faced with the reality that we are government funded. Um, you know, if someone does choose the avenue to get, um, you know, try to get that criminal justice process going, we have to cooperate with law enforcement. Um, and we train them, we talk to them, we're very close with the sex detective departments across the different jurisdictions. Um, and so they're always been a big supporter of us. And if we see something that we think is not okay, that's what our advocates are there for. They're there to say, hey, you know, that was an appropriate comment to say to my client, or you don't have to talk to me like that. We're not claiming to be legal representation, but you know, we understand what they are allowed to do, what they're not allowed to do, and what the statutes say that you are allowed to have. Um, so Orange County, the school board, you know, the sheriffs, like Mayor Demings, he started when he was a sheriff. He actually um, is part of our program tomorrow as well, and he knew our founder. They worked closely together. Um, so they've been a huge supporter of us for a long time. They really understand the work that we do, um, and so having their support has meant the most to us. So how was uh, VSC first founded? Yeah, so um, our founder is uh, former commissioner Mary I. Johnson. She unfortunately passed away last year. Oh. Um, so we have a little memorial for her tomorrow. Louie actually was her aide at the time. So he kind of circled back around. Um, but there was actually a news reporter who found out that the jails in Orange County were using the money from payphones at the time, um, like, wrongly, I don't know what they were doing with it, but they weren't using it for appropriate things. So Mary I. Johnson's son, I believe, was victimized in like a robbery or something downtown. Um, and they noticed that there weren't any resources for the victim. You know, if you go to court and you are, you know, trying to get prosecuted, you have tons of rights and everyone wants to help get you a lawyer and all these things. But if you're the victim, you don't get offered anything. Um, and so she didn't think that was right. And so she advocated very strongly for the money from the payphones and the jails to go to help the victims. Um, and so all of that money, I believe is around a million dollars at the time, so worth a lot more now, um, went to starting the Victim Service Center actually as part of Orange County. Um, and they also had the foresight to know that being a part of a county organization, your hands are a little bit more tied, it's more bureaucratic, you can't do as much, you can't expand as much. Um, and so they actually set it up that they would become their own nonprofit later on. Um, and that happened, I think, within the first three years. So that actually became its own nonprofit organization. Um, and the Rape Crisis Center at the time was, I believe, Women Resource Center. Um, they kind of helped victims. They did the helpline, all of that fun stuff. And they saw the Victim Service Center and saw the opportunity to have us take that over. So then we became the designated Rape Crisis Center for Orange County. Um, with that designation, you have to work a helpline, you have to respond to sexual assault cases, 
if someone calls 911 and says, hey, I've been sexually assaulted, one of their rights is that they get offered a victim advocate from the designated rape crisis center, uh, which was us in Orange County. Um, we luckily had a really great model. I like to think that we do amazing work having our master's level crisis counselors and licensed therapists. Um, and so we were then kind of moved into Osceola County. We were successfully in Osceola County and then now we're in Seville County. Um, and now we're looking to expand actually into Winter Garden. Um, so we're trying to grow and move this model as far as we can possibly take it. Um, but that's a little bit about how we got started and where we are now. Well, it's definitely a group that needs support. Um, our daughter is a sexual abuse survivor and finding uh, services for the victim was, was a little difficult back then. And one of the things we advocate is the supporters of them as well, because back then there was absolutely nothing and trying to deal with a child who's been through a trauma like that needs a certain amount of finesse and uh, we'll say unique difficulty because it's something that will always have relapses. So the fact that there's more of these victim services available now, um, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I like that you brought that up as well um, because it's not just the victim themselves that suffer after this happens, it's their loved ones as well. Um, we actually provide services to secondary survivors, we call them, so the close loved ones who are impacted. So if someone, you know, if it's your child, if it's your partner, if it's, you know, someone that you love very dearly, watching them go through a traumatic event is traumatizing for you as well. Um, so we actually do offer services for them. It's not as, you know, intensive as like a rape kit collection, but you do still get offered therapy, you get offered counseling, you get offered what you need. If you need to come to support groups, things of that nature. Uh, we actually have as part of our program tomorrow, someone named Wanda, um, her child was sexually abused um, and she herself is a sexual assault survivor. And she just didn't know what to do. She didn't know how to talk to her daughter. She didn't know how to help her through that. It was triggering her. Um, and so she found the VSC and was able to get her daughter help. And she's like, you know, it, it helped her, it helped save her family. It really helped because as a family member, you know, you're, you may not be a trained mental health counselor. There's only so much that you might be able to offer that support or, you know, children don't necessarily want to talk about those things with their parents. Um, so having that third person to be able to confide in and get help from and support is really powerful. Well, we've seen a lot of parents that um, when a child gets abused, see it as their failure. And unfortunately, some react in the way of just pushing it under the carpet and hiding it, not knowing how that is just going to fester until later in life. And having the resources of someone to say that, hey, this is the reason why you need to go through it and support them is a roundabout way of helping the child and eventually helping the victim, which is what we all want. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say about half of the clients we serve of sexual violence are um, now adults who were abused as children. And a lot of times they say, you know, the first time I told anyone was the most traumatizing thing that ever happened to me. And I never told anyone ever again until it finally just kept impacting every single thing in my life until I realized I needed that help. So having supportive people, having that first person you tell or having that support system is the most important thing because regardless of what they went through, you know, they may not care about that person anymore and they may not want to think about them, but if they do still have those support systems and that breaks down, that's the most traumatizing part. Absolutely. I mean, I'm kudos for having the secondary help there because that was one of my biggest struggles there. Because first off, I've been very open with sex, but I didn't know that I should have been teaching her more 
about body autonomy and sex education, because I thought, you know, oh, about 12 or 13 is about the right age to teach. And then when all that happened, they're like, no, we shouldn't be teaching her consent about her body. I mean, she did know the scientific names, I mean, of her body parts. And we, there was no shame about that, but it was a per, um, her grandfather on her father's side that did the abuse. And that's where it just totally threw me off. And because I came to the realization that, look, we have to help these kids that they're going to have sex again in middle school and high school. It's just hormones. And that's how they are. My peer group from the child advocacy kicked me out. They said, no, you, you know, you're, we can't think about that. And we need to, I'm like, but this is what we need to prepare them emotionally and mentally I mean, maybe I was a little bit more mentally prepared for that, but emotionally I was a wreck on everything. And just to hear that you now provide services for people like myself, I, I'm forever grateful for that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we also have a whole prevention education um, curriculum. So we have an education coordinator who goes out and provides free training. So some of that is going and talking to parents um, during usually like summertime. We also go to like all the camp counselors and talk to them about, you know, you know, if someone says this, this is what it could mean here, are like some signs or some warning signs. Um, same thing in our general sexual assault training, we do go through the signs um, and how to respond to someone who discloses from like childhood all the way up. Um, so that is something really important. And we also work with the CAC and go through the darkest light program, talking about using correct terms and talking about applying consent from an early age, just like asking for a hug. I know sometimes culturally, there's some, you know, changes and things like that. But nowadays I do see that a lot more of here's how to talk about consent. Here's how to talk about secrets. Here's how to talk about your support system and safe adults and where do you go and what's good touch, what's bad touch. Um, so that has definitely changed and that's a very new thing. It's not something that, you know, has been happening forever. It's very new. Yeah. We're seeing that big um, consent culture coming in, you know, slowly, but I think at some points it's kind of ramming too, which is fantastic because we do need to really educate the world about consent, you know, and that would help, I guess, a little bit, you know, eliminate some of the rape culture and the sexual assaults if they know about consent. I don't know. I'm just guessing. I'm hoping. I'm, I'm <laughs> I, think, I think you're right <laughs> because also you'll, will find people that um, they don't even know they were sexually assaulted. They think that, you know, someone, asking over and over and over and over and over. And then you just finally conceding is consent. They think that, you know, going out to dinner with someone and then, you know, inviting them in your house. Well, that, that was, that must've been me consenting because that's what they said was consent or all of these other things that, you know, we're taught to be polite. You're taught to be, you know, gracious and all of these other things. And so that's kind of stands in the way a lot of times. And so now we're moving away from that training bartenders, things of that nature, but it obviously still exists in a lot of places. I know that you also offer your services in Spanish. Is that just in Osceola County or is it also all three locations? Uh, all three locations, they can have access to that, especially now being virtual is a lot easier. Um, we usually try to keep around a third of our staff bilingual Spanish speaking. Um, so in Osceola County, we have one designated advocate for that county. Now it's a lot more blurred because if you're seeing virtually you can see wherever, but if you're going into the actual office in Osceola, um, that was always a bilingual Spanish speaker. I believe in Seminole County, we have had one. It's moved around a little bit. We also have someone who's permanently stationed at our sexual assault treatment center in Orange County, ready for a case at all times. 
Um, she does speak Spanish. Um, and we have a translation service as well in our helpline um, that we contract with that can work for any language. It's not as personal, um, but it does still work. We're also working on getting um, services for like deaf individuals. We're working very closely with um, UCF on some programs of that nature. So we're working very hard to expand access. Oh, that's fantastic there. I think that sometimes people don't think about that, you know, the access availability, they, they just think, oh, well, I could just call and they'll have it. It's like, oh, not, not all the time, but they're working on it. Yeah, you know, we try our best, especially in Central Florida. Um, I'm someone who's worked in theme parks. And so I'm very familiar with nonverbal communication and try to work your way through it. Um, but you really can't nonverbal your way through something like this or um, on the phone that doesn't really work out. So you really do have to rely on um, translation services or, you know, those built in things where you can call someone up and say, hey, you know, I need this or that um, and have those ready right away. Fantastic there. And so how can people really get involved? Is there like volunteer opportunities or training programs they could do or? Yeah, so um we have our prevention program where we do a lot of training. So if someone wants to uh, get prevention education, um, they can check out our YouTube, our Facebook lives that we schedule every now and again, and they're always posted on there. You can actually email our education coordinator on our website um, to request some of those trainings for your organization. Um, so we also have recordings sometimes available. There are ways to actually volunteer as well. All our volunteers right now are virtual, um, and we really use them in a capacity building situation. Um, it's not something that you come in, you paint the fence, and then you leave, and you never think about it ever again. Um, we actually onboard them pretty thoroughly. Um, it's the reason I have a job. So, you know, they have to do an application. We actually give them an interview. They get background check. They do a 30-hour training. Um, they do a very extensive orientation progress uh, with uh, even more training. Um, and then they actually get assigned a project, usually based on something that they're already passionate about. So if they come to me and say, hey, I, I know I want to work with college populations. I know I want to help men. I know I want to help the LGBTQ community. And we try to assign them to those projects um, and usually give them something meaningful. So if they want to help expand access in the community, well, why don't you do that? <laughs> why don't you go out and help that? And we'll assign you a committee or we'll give you a staff member to help you out and give you all the resources that you need. So we really um, seek people that are very passionate about what we do. Becoming a volunteer isn't something they can do the next day. It's usually a couple months progress. And so you really do become part of the team. Um, we do also have um, our speakers bureau. So if people have been victimized, whether as a client of ours or not, and they really want to share their story, um, they can become a speakers bureau member. We have a couple of those and some of them are part of that program tomorrow, but they share their stories about, you know, either I did get services and here's how that saved my life, or I didn't get services and hear how that was a struggle for me until I finally figured it out. And so we use them as part of our prevention education program, or if someone calls and says, hey, you know, I really want an interview, there's, you know, something happening in Central Florida, and so it's very timely. Well, all of our clients are protected and uh, we don't really want to interview them right now. So we have our speakers bureau members that we call upon to do that for us. And there are great cheerleaders in the community. There's sometimes one-on-one -on -one, like or group projects available when we're in person. You know, if you wanna come in and paint that fence, sometimes we can do that as well. Um, the one thing people cannot do um, and people think they can do it all the time is you can't come in and become a volunteer counselor. Um, all of our counselors are staff members. All of our therapists are staff members. Um, everyone that works the helpline is a staff member. Um, so that's not something that they're able to do and meet with clients. Um, we do offer grad level internships for social work, mental health counseling, things like that. UCF and Rollins both have amazing programs and we see a lot of their students come in and help us out. And they're usually with us for like a thousand hours 
Um, so if someone's part of that program, they can have an opportunity to help out, but that doesn't mean that they're not gonna help people. That doesn't mean that they're not gonna do meaningful work. Um, I'm not a mental health counselor and um, I've learned so much and I've heard amazing stories, especially going out in the community and doing outreach was something I really miss doing, but you know, you'll be at a table and someone will tell you, you know, what their experience was or someone in their life they thought of when they heard our services or they see our table and they know that we're a safe person to talk to. And so they'll maybe tell me their story for the first time. And that's really impactful. That does make a huge difference. Have, finding that safe space to trust someone to talk about your trauma or talk about what happened to you or even process it. Because, you know, we were talking to another person and, you know, intergenerational trauma that it happens and they just say, oh, it, it's okay. It's just part of the family. Like uncle Joe does it all the time. And he did it to me. He did it to your mom. It's like, that's not acceptable. I mean, we do need to change that and stop that. Um, do you see cases like that? Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> there's actually um, someone in our speakers bureau who uh, they're still pretty estranged from their family and the perpetrator was a family member and they still get invited to family outings like 30 years later. And so they very clearly are like, yeah, I'm not going if they're there. And their family just still doesn't understand, even though they're an advocate, they share their story, they understand, um, they try to empathize, but they still don't truly understand. And this is something that we see a lot about holidays too. Like this is a presenting problem in a lot of families. So usually around the holiday time, we'll do a workshop called surviving the holidays to discuss things like this. Like if you know that, you know, Uncle John has been, you know, abusing people in your family for years and you're the one that has finally said, I'm not going to do it anymore. Do you still want to see your family? Do you not? Because for some people, they're not willing to give up that support system, regardless of what has happened to them. Um, and so they will go there. But what kind of safety planning can we do to help you? Um, how can we, you know, make this work for your life and what your situation is now and help you get those coping skills and safety plans ready to go. Um, so it is an unfortunate reality for a lot of people, you know, blood is really important and sometimes you can't get away from that or that's where you need your support. So it is definitely still a problem and I'm not really sure what the right thing to do for some people is, but we're willing to help that person through whatever they need. That's fantastic to just have those services, especially during the holiday to create that plan, because I guess also people don't realize you, you could have a safety plan. Yeah. Like, you know, you could say maybe there's someone in your family who, you know, your sister or someone who understands what you went through and believes you and wants to help, you know, Hey, I'm going to sit next to you the whole time. I'm going to talk to you the whole time. Here's my like code word for, I need to leave. Or if I tell you to call me or someone outside the family, if I like send you an emoji, I need you to call me and get me out. Or, you know, having an Uber ready or having transportation, things of that nature in your home can make a really big difference to not feeling so alone and knowing where to turn to and not feeling trapped in that same place. Because a lot of times, even if you're in a good place in your life, going back to something that will take you back to the abuse is going to really um, send you back down. You all mentioned earlier that you are going to have those lows and when we say healing is a journey, we mean it just because you're thriving right now. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have a bad day tomorrow because they still happen. Triggers are always happening. It's just a matter of like, how do you handle it? Do you have exactly. your resources? Do you have your safety plan? You know, those are things that, you know, we tried to figure it out ourselves back in the day, but now currently seeing all the availability and the resources available, we're, we're forever grateful. And we love sharing these stories and telling people like, look, 
things have changed. Things are getting better. I mean, not as rapidly as we would love to see, but change is happening. Yeah. So how could everyone find you or services, reach out, you know, sign up for the seven month of volunteer program? Uh, so our website is healhere.org. Cool gifts as well. Yeah, absolutely. Box. Yeah. Please buy our auction items. But um, our website is healhere.org. Um, on that, we have our education prevention. So if you want to sign up to get trainings, you can do that. We have a tab about volunteerism. So if you want to do the application for that, you can. You just want to learn more about what we do or maybe become a referral source, things of that nature. We actually have something called a Lunch and Learn on the second Wednesday of every month um, where we invite people to come in. Um, our executive director does a presentation about our history, our programs, things we're doing, stats, all that fun stuff so you can learn everything about what we do. Um, that's actually also a requirement for all of our volunteers to attend. Um, so you can sign up for that on our website. Um, we also have our Cheers to Change um, link on there, but you can just go to www.cheerstochange.org. All of our social medias is at VSC Florida. So on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, um, and also TikTok, but we're working on that. We do actually also have our own podcast that we do every week. Um, today was actually our one year anniversary of having our podcast. Um, and we've had episodes about intergenerational trauma and secondary survivors and surviving the holidays. Um, today's I believe was about uh, anniversaries and trauma and how that's important. Um, so we do a lot of um, trainings and community building through our podcast as well. We think that's really important, but our program is April 8th from 7 to 8 p.m. We're going to be streaming that live on our Facebook. Orange TV as part of Orange County was very gracious and helped us film it. So they're going to be streaming it for us as well as on their channels. Um, they do have it available on their website. So I know Facebook isn't everyone's cup of tea, but you can also go to Orange TV and they will have it up there and on their YouTube. Um, and we'll publish it after the fact as well. So if people aren't able to see it um, live, they can still come back and see it later because it does have a lot of really impactful stories. But if you want to support us, you can donate, you can get educated, you can share our helpline number 407-500-HEAL. Um, every 73 seconds, someone is sexually assaulted. And you know, there's more than likely someone in everyone's life that has been impacted by sexual violence. And so knowing where to go is really one of the most important things. We totally appreciate everything you do. We appreciate it. I am very grateful that you accepted our option items there because I know us being a sex positive, you know, podcast and offering sex and relationship services, it, it's kind of frowned upon, but we are very huge advocates of sexual assault awareness and child abuse awareness because we, we are survivors, all of us, the family, because, you know, our daughter was the victim and we went along with the roller coaster ride of how to heal. So, and we appreciate that. And so people bid on our item. It's uh, bid on all the items. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm actually wanting the Enrique Iglesia and Ricky Martin uh, box seats, club box seats. So don't bid on that one. I want to bid on that. I think those ones are actually still pretty affordable. So yeah, yeah, you exactly. should definitely go for it. But I, I mean, oh, I, I, I won't say you there. have to bid right now, maybe bid the last second. I understand people want to do that. So if they don't want to bid right away, they can bid at the last possible second. You know, we'll still accept that. Yeah, no, I, I'm waiting for that like 605 bid because then I know I'm like done. It's closing soon. <laughs> I, but I, I played these auctions too many times. So I've learned. <laughs> it's very addicting. Like you see all these amazing things. And you're like, it's for a good cause. It's for a good cause. I can absolutely do it. And, you know, I definitely want to feed into that. Oh yeah, totally. It's such a bidding game, but it's like, I know one of the rules is that you have to be in central Florida to pick up the items, the physical items. We are offering shipping at an additional cost if they want to. Oh, okay. um, 
And ideally they can pick it up. If it's something that's not a physical basket item, like some of them are just gift cards, certificates, things of that nature, we'll just mail those to you or email to you. Um, and every item should have listed on it. Like this will be emailed, this will be mailed or pick up at Orlando office or shipping optional um, if it is something like that. So we're willing to work with people on that. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so very much, Shannon. I appreciate your time. I appreciate the education and the support here for us. Have a good night. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Sex Pods and Me. If you like our content, please like, subscribe, and review us. You can find us on social media platforms at Sex Positive Me or on our website at sexpositiveme.com. You can also reach me on all social media platforms as Miss Angelique Luna. And you can find me at John C. Luna. And if you liked content like this and want some more, please subscribe to our monthly newsletter. And thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.